Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, continuation of our study through the book of Romans. We come to a chapter that is a very important chapter, as all chapters of the Bible are, but it deals with a subject that it's very necessary we understand, and that's the subject of justification. So follow in your Bibles as I read beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the, of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal, the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, but that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, where there is no law, there is no transgression." Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for, your, for his sake alone that it, that it was imputed to him, for, but for us to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this important text on the justification of the believer We thank you, Lord, that we who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we've put our faith in what you did for us on the cross and your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that because of that, 
we are saved, we are rescued, and we are given the righteousness of God, and we are accepted in the Beloved. Our prayer today is, Lord, for anyone who might be here. Maybe they've, they've, they might even be a member of the church. Maybe they are faithful, uh, but that doesn't mean they're saved. And I just pray you'd examine hearts. As the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, we should also examine ourselves to see whether we'd be in the faith. So I pray that everyone might make sure that their faith is settled in Jesus Christ and they're righteous before you. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you for it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the most important need of mankind is not food. It's not a place to live. It's not friendship. It's not money. The most important thing for man is not his health. The most important thing for man is that he be right with God. Whether you're rich or poor, famous or infamous, or infamous, uh, that has different connotations, that word, but anyway, uh, you know what I mean. Regardless who you are, your most important need is to be right with God. Man has tried all kinds of solutions. He tries it through good works. He tries it through uh, religious deeds and uh, all of those things. He tries lots of ways to be right with God, and, and probably most people have in their mind that they will be right with God if they're good enough. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's only one way to be right with God, and that is for God to rescue you from you from your sinful condition. You see, we have a problem. We want to be right with God. We need to be right with God. But everybody, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he says also there's none righteous, no, not one. So nobody is is good. We're all sinners. So how in the world can we be right with God? To understand God's way of rescuing man, that's what God has to do. He has to rescue man from his condition. To understand that, we have to understand the doctrine of justification. Now, doctrine, that word doctrine shouldn't scare you away, and you shouldn't say, well, I don't want to go to church, and all they talk about is doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. And I've said for many years, if a preacher doesn't teach when he preaches, then he doesn't preach. (laughs) You see, you convey truth, and that's what preaching is, conveying the truth. And that's teaching the Word of God. So whether you do it in a different manner, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that you convey truth, and that is doctrine, teaching truth in the Word of God. Justification, what does that mean? Well, we described it last week. Justification means to to be declared righteous or declared righteous and treated as such. God declares us to be righteous and treats us as such. Now, that doesn't mean that God makes us righteous. I've often heard this term that says justified. That means just as if you'd never sinned. That's a simplified definition, but it's really not the best. Just as if you'd never sinned is sort of the result. But justified is something that God does, and that is he declares you to be righteous. Now, the question is, how can God declare people to be righteous when the fact is, they're not. I mean, <laughs> that's the truth, you know. God declares us to be righteous, but, but we're not. 
Nobody here is righteous in and of themselves. So God can't declare you to be righteous if you're not. At least that's the way we think about it, and that's what it would seem. How is God going to do that? Well, the Bible says that it's through faith. Go back to chapter 3. God declares everybody who, who righteous. God declares people righteous who have put their faith in Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 26, it says this. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So the way we have this declaration of righteousness, if we believe in Jesus. Look at verse 28. Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we can be justified, but how does God do it? Well, I've made a poster up this morning to illustrate something. Now, I'm not, I want you to take this personally. That means individually you take this personally. This is your record apart from Jesus, a part of it. Sin. You're a sinner. Everybody here has committed idolatry. Idolatry is when you put something before God, and we've all done that. Everybody here has told a lie. If your child, if you say of other, to other people and say, my daughter or my son has never lied to me, they've got the wool pulled over your eyes. <laughs> the Bible says a child goeth from the, forth from the womb speaking lies. And uh, they're, they're sinners, so they're going to lie. And so lying is sin. Envy, have you ever envied? Everybody here has. Also, immorality. Uh, immorality can be thoughts, it can be deeds, it can be all kinds of things classified as immorality. Everybody has been guilty of that. Uh, disobeying parents. If you're a child now, you've, probably, you've been guilty of that. If you're grown, maybe you're up in your 80s or 90s and... Uh, and you look back, and guess what? Back when you were young, you disobeyed your parents. So all that's on your account, in a sense, because you're a sinner. Uh, theft, have you ever stole anything? Well, I imagine you have. In fact, if you haven't given to the Lord like you should, the Bible says that's, that's thievery. You've robbed from God. So everybody's been guilty of theft. What about jealousy? Has anybody ever been jealous? Or deception, that is akin to lying. You deceive somebody. You know, you don't tell them all the truth. And the reason you don't is you're deceiving them to make them think something else when that's really not true. And you say, I didn't lie to them, but you deceive them. That's a lie. And that's sin. Unforgiveness. Do you have someone in your mind that you don't forgive? God says that's sin. Bitterness. Have you ever had that? Greed. (laughs) Unkindness. And you could go on and on and on with sin. This is your record. Apart from Jesus Christ. This is your record. Everybody has sinned, and you could add many more, as I said, to this list. Now, because we're sinners, then we need something, and that is we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The answer to our sin is righteousness. The Bible says that God imputes to us righteousness when we trust Jesus. Now, the word impute means he puts it to our account. He counts it to our account. He gives us his righteousness, and so when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. As I studied this passage, I found that in chapter 4, there are words used several different times 
that are from the same Greek word. Let me tell you what they are. Verse number three, counted. That's the same word that's translated imputed. Uh, verse number four, reckoned. Same word, same Greek word. Verse number five, counted. Verse number six, imputeth. Verse number eight, impute. Verse nine, reckoned. Verse 10, reckoned. Verse 11, imputed. Verse 22, 23, and verse 24 all have the word imputed. Every word, whether it's reckoned, counted, or imputed, it's all the same Greek word. It means that God puts it to our account. He gives it to our account. He counts us as righteous because he has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness is described in chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. So when you believed in Jesus Christ, God gave you the righteousness of Jesus. He put that upon you, upon all that believe. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God can declare us to be righteous because he gives us his righteousness. But there's a problem. God gives us his righteousness. Let's see. Let me. See. Here you are. You're a sinner, all these sins and more. And the Bible says that's the way you look before God. But then you trust Jesus as your Savior, and he gives you the righteousness of God. And God doesn't see this. He sees this, the righteousness righteousness of God. Now, but what about our sin? You say, the sin's still there, and God covers it with his righteousness. But you know, because God is a holy God, he won't do that. God won't just cover up your sin. It's still in there, but he's covered it up, you know, and he's sort of like deceiving himself that the sin's still there, but he covered it up with his righteousness. That's not the way it is. You see, this has to be taken care of before God will put his righteousness on you and account you to be righteous. Uh, this sin has to be dealt with. So what we're going to talk about this morning is how does God do that? And chapter 4 is really a treatise on the, on the subject of justification. It's a wonderful chapter. And we're going to look at three things about justification that we see in Romans chapter 4. The first one is this, the ground of justification. What's the ground? What's the foundation? Why would God justify anyway? Well, the ground of justification is, is twofold. First of all, because of God's attitude toward us. What's God's attitude? Let's say you go out here and you find the worst sinner you can find. And you say, what's God's attitude toward that sinner? Let me tell you what God's attitude is. Romans, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son of God, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe you can go to any door in this area, in Morrow, in uh, Lebanon, in Mainville, Cincinnati, wherever you go, you could go to any door and you could knock on that door and you could say, I have a message for you. God loves you. God loves you. And he said, God loves me in the situation I'm in, everything that's going bad in my life. How can you tell me God loves you? 
God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. And he sent his son Jesus to take your sin upon himself and to die in your place and be your substitute so that he could give you his righteousness so you could go to heaven. God loves you and he did that for you. He proved his love on the cross of Calvary. God loves you. God's attitude toward us is love. You see, justification, the ground of justification is is based on that. God loves the sinner. Also, Romans chapter 3 says we're justified freely by his grace. Love and grace go together. How could God love somebody who's unlovely? Well, the Bible says it's grace. Grace means unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God gives us grace. Now, God can't give us grace just because he wants to. God can't be gracious to people just because he says, oh, well, I'll just pass over that sin, and I'll I'll wink at it and let you on to heaven. I know you don't deserve it. I'll take you to heaven anyway. God doesn't do that. The sin is the problem, and God has to deal with the sin. And so the Bible says that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do just that. So God's attitude is a ground for justification, but then also God's action. And God's action is this, chapter 3, verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption means released by the payment of a price. And so God, on the cross of Calvary, he paid the price for our sins. The price for sin, the punishment for sin is death, eternal separation from God. And Jesus paid that for us because on the cross, when he was experiencing the sin of the world laid upon him, He had to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was experiencing what we deserve, and that was to be forsaken by God. And in a matter of three hours on the cross of Calvary, he experienced all that we deserve. And that three hours was an awful time for Jesus on the cross of Calvary. But he took all of our sin, and he paid for for it completely. So the ground of justification is his attitude toward us and his actions for us. Uh, John, uh, Romans chapter 4, he says he delivered for our offenses, for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 6 says Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. So everybody's sin was laid on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He died for us. First Peter says Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So the ground of justification is God's attitude. He loves us, and God's action, he paid for our sin on the cross of Calvary. Every sin you have ever committed was put on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. But not just every sin you have committed, every sin you will commit in the future was laid on Jesus. Think with me for a minute. I've pointed this out many times, but I want you to understand it. And that is... On the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died for your sins, you weren't yet born. And if he died for your sins, he looked towards the future and saw you and knew the sins that you would commit. Which sins? All of your sins. From birth all the way to death. And he took the punishment for those sins. He paid for them on the cross of Calvary. And so all of your sins were future at that time and he paid for them. And so when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you trust him as the answer for all the sins you have committed and all the sins you will commit. You trust Jesus as your personal Savior. He paid for all of your sins. And so the ground for justification 
is the attitude of God toward us. He loves us, and his actions, he paid for our sins. Now, how do we gain justification? How do we gain this justification? Uh, the Bible tells us in chapter 4. Uh, first of all, negatively. He says we don't gain it through certain things. He says in verses 1 through 8, it's not through works. So you can't be justified by God if you say, well, I've done a lot of good things. My good day deeds outweigh my bad deeds by far. I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good deeds. Jesus says you're not justified that way. God will not declare you to be righteous because you think you're righteous. God will not do that. So it's not by works. It's also not through circumcision. This way he's talking to the Jew. It's not through circumcision. And that circumcision, of course, was that outward rite of the, for the male Jews that showed that they were God's uh, chosen people, God's chosen uh, family that he's going to work through with through all the centuries. That's through giving us the word and also through giving us the Savior. And so that was an outward sign. And the Jews sometimes trusted that. They said, we have had that outward mark that we are God's people, and therefore we are okay. And he says, no, it's not through circumcision. It's, in fact, verse 10, he says, it was reckoned to Abraham when he was not circumcised, in uncircumcision. So when he was trusted the Lord, when he believed on the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness, it was way before he was circumcised. Let me give you a timetable. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, He believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. So because he believed in the Lord, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, what did Abraham believe? I don't believe Abraham understood everything about the cross. I don't think he understood everything about the resurrection. And uh, that, was, that would come, you know, in time. God would begin to reveal that later. But Abraham didn't understand all that. But he did understand what God told him. And the Bible says when God told him something, and that is he was going to bless him, and his seed was going to be a multi multitude as the stars and the, and the sky for, for multitude, as the sand on the seashore for multitude, and uh, he didn't have any children. He was an old man. And uh, Abraham believed God. Now today, what do we know? What does God tell us? Well, God tells us the, the, the gospel. We know it all. And there's no way you can be saved apart from believing what God has said. And that is what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. You must believe that and put your trust in him. And so Abraham... Verse, that says in chapter 15 that he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 16 tells how old, how old he was at that time. It might have been a year later, but it says this. He was 86 years old. Now, do you know how old Abraham was when he was circumcised? He was 99 years old. In other words, he was justified by faith many years before he ever went through that outward rite of circumcision. And so justification is not through a religious rite. And today, it's not because you've been baptized. It's not because you joined a church. It's not because you had confirmation or anything like that. It's not because you took communion or any of those things. A justification is not through that. So justification is not through works, and it's not through circumcision or religious rite. 
and it's not through the law. Verses 13 to 15, he says it's not through the law. And so the Jew was justified not because he tried to keep the law. It wasn't because he tried to keep that. I remember years ago, I, I, I ministered to a lady, an older lady. She was older than me at that time, probably about my age now. And, uh, but she was old, I'm not. <laughs> but I remember telling her, I asked her, I said, uh, are you saved, ma'am? And I won't tell you name, her name, but I remember it. I, are you saved? She said, oh, yes. She says, I keep the Ten Commandments. I never had anybody tell me that, but she told me that. Well, I had to tell her, ma'am, you haven't kept the Ten Commandments. And even if you could, that's not going to save you, but you can't because you're a sinner. And I explained to her need, need for the Savior. I don't know if she ever trusted the Lord as her Savior or not. It's been many years ago. But I remember her saying that, yes, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, you're not saved by the law. And so it's not by law. Negatively, it's not through uh, works. It's not through religious rites. It's not through the law. But positively, how is it? How are you justified? How do you gain justification? Well, the Bible says it's through one thing, and that is belief. And I've told you this many times. I want to tell you again, though. It often disturbs me when I hear people tell somebody the gospel, and they never mention the fact that they need to believe. They'll say you need to commit your life to the Lord. You need to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. You need to ask Jesus into your heart and all these terminologies, you know, that they use and never once tell them there is something that you must believe. And my friend, you will never be saved unless you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a message that must be believed and that message is the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he rose again the third day and he is alive today and he has paid for your sins. That's the gospel. And you must believe that. There must be an exercise of faith. You must believe the gospel. Abraham believed against hope. Verse 18 says, uh, evidence didn't show. I mean, he had no children. It, evidence didn't show that this was going to happen. So he, he believed God against hope. He believed God in spite of circumstances. He was 100 years old. And his wife was 90 years old. Her womb was dead. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, able to father a child. He was 100 years old, and it was impossible. He believed God in spite of the circumstances. He believed God without staggering. That means in verse 20, he staggered not. That means he didn't go one, one day, say, I believe him. Next day, I don't. He believed God without staggering. He kept believing God. And he was justified because he believed God. He believed God because God had given him a promise. That promise is referred to in verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, what did he promise? Look at verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world. He should be the heir of the world. What's that mean? Well, Jesus states it in other ways, and, and, uh, and that is uh, we're heir of all things. All things. You see, if you know Jesus, you're, a joint heir with, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus owns, you own. I'm rich, and you're rich if you know Jesus. 
uh, it's all mine. And uh, because I'm heir with, with Jesus. So I'm heir uh, to the world. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And he believed that. He believed that God had promised and that was true of him. Even though he was living in a tent, he believed what God said. Now, we're justified today in the same way, with just different content. He believed what God said. We, we are to believe what God said about Jesus. And that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You must believe. What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and if anybody would commit their life to him, he would save them. It doesn't say that. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you might have gone through some motions, and you might have made a decision. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I ask you this. Has there been a time in your life when you realized the sinfulness of yourself and trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and cried out to him and said, Lord, I believe you died for my sin and paid for all of it, and I want you to be my Savior. Have you ever done that? Have you trusted Jesus? You see, justification is only through faith. So the ground of justification is God's attitude and his action. The gaining of justification is through faith. Then I want to close with the last part of the message, and that is, the greatness of justification. What's so great about being justified? Well, I don't think you'd ask, ask that question because it's obvious. But the Bible says there's, it's great to be justified. No, first of all, it's great because it's available to everybody. Look at verse 24 of chapter 3 again. And it says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Freely by grace. It doesn't cost you anything and you don't have to deserve it. So you don't, you don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, I think I really want you to save me. I, I know that I've been a pretty good guy, and I, I think I deserve that, Lord. Uh, look at these other people. They're really doing bad. You know, that's what the, the guy said uh, when he met the publican at the temple, and he says, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this publican. <laughs> but the publican smote on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went down to his house justified, and the other guy didn't. <laughs> so it's available to all because you have to, it's free, and uh, you don't have to be good to have it. You freely by his grace. He justifies, chapter 5, or verse 5 says, the ungodly, the ungodly. Is anybody here, apart from Jesus, ungodly? I will not have to ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, and there was one of you who didn't raise their hand, I could rightfully point you out and say you're lying because all of us are ungodly. I remind you of your sin. We're all ungodly. We don't deserve righteousness. But the Lord wants to give us righteousness. And the Lord says he will give us that if we trust Jesus as our personal Savior. So it's great because of it meets the greatest need that we have, and that is to be right with God. It's also great because it makes us happy. Look at verse 6. 
It says, even as David also described the blessedness, blessed means happy, the happiness of the man in whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. It doesn't matter what kind of day we've had. We should be able to come to church and smile. It doesn't mean everything's going right in our life, but our sins are forgiven. God's forgiven us. He's given us his righteousness. We're accepted in the beloved, and we should be happy because of that. It's also great because it brings security. Verse 16 says, of faith to the, to the end, the promise might be sure. It's sure. I know beyond any shadow of doubt that I'm going to heaven. Sometimes when someone says something like that, somebody else might say, well, that's a proud statement. You believe you're good enough to get? No, I didn't say that. I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because my faith is in Jesus Christ, and he paid for every sin that I ever committed and ever will. He's paid it all. And I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus, not because of me, but because of Jesus. We can have that assurance because it's, it's, it's sure. It's a sure thing. So it's, it's great because it brings security. Does, doesn't it seem almost too good to be true? that you can be right with God, you can be happy, and you can have eternal security. It's not too good to be true because Jesus has dealt with our sin. Now let's go back to this poster here. This is our problem, sin. What we need is the righteousness of God. But we said that God's not going to just cover up your sin with his righteousness. What he did on the cross of Calvary, he took and marked out all that, and he says it's forgiven. Why? Because it's paid for. And so we have our sins forgiven, and then he can put in its place the righteousness of the Lord. He didn't cover up our sins. He didn't wink at it and say, well, I'll just pass it over because I want to give you my righteousness. He didn't do it. He can't. He's holy. And he had to deal, he had to deal with this sin, and he did and he took it all out of the way and removed it, but that wasn't enough. It's not enough just to have all your sin taken away. God's not going to accept you unless you have the righteousness of Jesus applied to your account. And so when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you have the righteousness of God. And it's that word counted, reckoned, or imputed. It's the same Greek word, and that means that God puts to your account his righteousness. And so when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your account, and that's why he can say, I declare you to be righteous. That's justified. We're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. I ask you, have you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you put your faith in him? It's not too good to be true that you can be right with God. You can be but it takes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to sing a song. I, it's been a while since I sang it, so I'm not going to sing it this morning. But it goes like this, uh, guilty no more. It says, the price was demanded and I could not pay. Perfection and righteousness, God seemed to say. I cried unto Jesus with soul sick and sore, and he answered quickly, because my faith, you're guilty no more. 
I hid in the darkness with vileness complete and knew every moment that I, that I could not meet. All, all justice demanded, for I was too poor. Then Jesus redeemed me. I am guilty no more. The sore condemnation, the fear looking toward, the judgment that waited when facing the Lord. I cried for deliverance from all that I bore. Then Jesus assured me, you are guilty no more. Guilty no more, guilty no more. He paid the price and I'm guilty no more. The record is clear, there is no need to fear. I believe Jesus, I'm guilty no more. I hope that's true of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that you've reminded us from the scripture of this important doctrine of justification. I pray, Lord, that if we had trusted Jesus as our Savior, it would be encouraging today to have it explained again. And we can rejoice because our sins are forgiven and we're counted righteous before God because of Jesus. If there's somebody here today, Lord, who has never trusted Jesus, I pray that today will be the day they'll do that. We ask in his name. Amen.